Hello, everybody. What I'm Monty. Hi, guys. I'm Daniel. And we're here with we This are. Would Know. This physically distant but socially closer than ever would know. You are the great would know of our hearts. And as long as we're sitting around with you, we're always around our would know. The would know is not a place. It's an idea. It is the people. Yeah, it's a frame of mind. We have someone at this virtual would know who is Eru Grimm's artistic associate, who was the actor manager for our first ever production of Much Do About Nothing, who's played a huge assortment of roles, including Viola and Sebastian in Twelfth Night. We have the one and only Laura Piccoli. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for joining. How are you? So social distanced. <laughs> and this is the, the first um, socially distanced Wooden O episode. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, it is. Though we are set, we're, we are physically distanced. We are socially oh so close. Indeed. Oh! <laughs> like we mentioned earlier in the posts, uh, if you saw on social media earlier, we are doing this live all-access episode of Wooden O, so you are more than welcome and actually encouraged to chat with us in the window. I just want to quickly shout out Bruce Pingree, Oh, Bruce! Tuning in all the way from Kittery, Maine. Always nice to see you, Bruce. Hope you're doing safe. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, Bruce, I love you so much. And I'm so glad that you are sitting on a wooden bench. Thank mm -hmm. you for, for being with us. <laughs> Victoria is on the chat. Laura, are you not on the chat window, are you, Laura? Oh, no, I'm not. I I'll translate that, uh, for you. Victoria says that Victoria. you're drinking straight water. Ha ha, heart. Victoria, I love you. You're wrong. It's a little bit of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we're starting off with drama. Let's jump right on into it. So, Laura, for those who do not know, uh, in addition to being an associate artist at Rude Grooms, you are also not just a very talented actor, but in all the productions that I've been in with you, you seem to always wear a ton of hats. Can you briefly rattle through <laughs> all of the different things that you have done in different productions of late? I have been involved in Rude Grooms since the very beginning. And I've worn the hat of actor-manager, uh, costumer, actor. In the productions that we've worked on together, you seem to be the person who, whenever there is something that needs to be done, by the time that I'm realizing like, oh, we need to take care of this, we need to do this, we need to do this in that particular moment, you will very, like, very calmly and politely just come up to me and be like, um, so I already took care of that and those other three things. And so now I'm just kind of like hanging out but let me know what it is that you need. Like I'm constantly blown away by your work ethic and it's something as a habitual procrastinator and not the greatest planner I would like to emulate. So can you talk a little bit about where that comes from? Oh, thanks, Daniel. Um, I think where that comes from is a just knowing how little time we have to put this up and, you know, as a, as sort of a startup theater company, there are only so many people who are behind the scenes. And that just means that you just have to pick up all of the jobs that you can. I think that's it, really. It's out of necessity and out of love for 
this company and for everybody who's involved in this company. And yeah. Have you always had that kind of a work ethic or is that something that is newly developed since working with rude grooms? Throughout undergrad, when I was studying drama, I I did have that work ethic as well, specifically when it came to studies that were related to drama, because I also studied other subjects as well. But coming to Rude Grooms was was when I started wearing a lot of hats that I hadn't before, like costumer and quote unquote director, which we call a an actor manager. It's not quite a director, but those are hats that I hadn't worn before. And just out of necessity, I picked them up and started putting them on. How did you go about figuring your way through or sort of navigating territory that you had no prior experience in? Again, it was, I mean, definitely for our first show for Much Ado, it was out of necessity. I mean, we we needed costumes and we didn't have anybody doing them. There were certain roles that I was like, oh, I'll, I'll do that because that sounds like fun. So I went out and I got everybody army outfits. And then I realized like, I, I like shopping for the company and um, creating an aesthetic that, that helps to tell the story. And there were certainly roles that Monty needed filling that I was like, I can't do that and have less interest in trying to learn how to do that. Like a little bit of the producing side, but yeah, I mean, I love, I love doing costumes. I I love the physical labor of, of carrying the tents and setting them up and breaking them down every day. And it's really gratifying to, to be on the, on the backside of, of acting. And and that's one of the reasons why Rude Grooms is is special because the actors do all of that work. What about it in particular? Do you find gratifying? Mm. What is it? What is it that you came to really love and appreciate about that? I think it was the sense of empowerment and the and the realization that I didn't need to be relying on. I mean, certainly I do rely on the rest of the company, um, and particularly the associate and the associate artists and the sharers, um, to take everything off the ground. Um, but I could be part of the process of lifting it off and not having to rely on other people to give me an opportunity, but to be part of that process of making the opportunities. Have you felt like that's been a particular challenge for you in uh, in other productions that you've been in where your job is just actor? Yes, in the sense that after graduating from undergrad in 2013, and I, like you guys, went to Tisch undergrad for drama. However, in our studio, we weren't taught the craft of creating your own company and um, creating your own opportunities, really. And so I think that comes naturally to some people, and it didn't necessarily come naturally to me. So in the several years of being out of undergrad, as an actor, I relied on other people to write, produce, put together, cast me, um, and to now be a part of a process where I am part of the creative team is so liberating and like I said, empowering. It's also given me confidence to now write my own projects and try to get those off the ground. So I didn't know you were writing your own stuff. Yeah, I've dabbled. So wait a minute. So this, the experience of 
getting to wear several different kinds of hats uh, empowered you as an artist to start following in that same vein of creating your own work, including writing things that you hadn't previously written before. So talk a little bit about what it is that you're writing. I've been considering writing for several years, but kind of didn't trust my voice as a writer. Mm. Um, certainly didn't trust my voice in, in dialogue. Um, but was even trying to find my aesthetic, um, as a writer and, uh, what subjects I was interested in. So in 2018, I went back to school to get a master's in energy and environment policy. And part of the reasoning behind that was to one, pursue an area of knowledge that I had been interested in since undergrad and that I really cared about and was my side passion to acting. But it was also to gain more knowledge about the subject so that I could start writing projects. So acting opportunities that were related to environmental science. Mm -hmm. So last semester, I wrote my first short script, and it is inspired by uh, an educational trip that I took to Bolivia um, in 2018. And Bolivia has a really large indigenous population. And one of their main beliefs is in Pachamama, aka Mother Earth. So I wrote sort of a, a little fantasy, fantasy script that was um, a celebration of, of Pachamama. And then so for the for the source material, just to make sure that you were um, like faithful to the indigenous people whose whose story you were whose story you were helping to tell. Did you go back and uh, like do research or how did you craft how did you craft all of that when it came to the process of writing it once you were no longer there? Yeah, so I um, I have started research into Bolivian the, the history of Bolivian filmmaking and the tradition of Bolivian filmmaking. But I also sent the script to um, my professor who lives in Bolivia, who's more of an authority on that subject than I am, just to make sure that I'm not misrepresenting anything about the culture. So that's where that process is right now. It's, I'm just sending it out to friends and um, to get feedback. I'm, I'm very curious to hear a little bit about, you said you had difficulty at first finding your voice or finding dialogue. Now, when it came to learning other new skills that you were talking about with this would know, you said you sort of found those as a matter of necessity. These were things that just had to be done. But this to me sounds, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds more like a passion project. So when you're not operating from a place of necessity, what are your first steps? How do you get started? I think with this script and with some of the other things that I've started writing, they are images in my brain that keep on coming back to annoy me and that demand to be written onto a page. Oh, wait, give me an example. 
Well, like this, uh, this particular script starts with two young girls running through the cloud forests of Bolivia, which are like stunning and otherworldly. And they, they're full of giant ferns, the size, the size of trees. And as a celebration to the, the plant life, uh, in Bolivia, this image of this forest and these girls just kept on bothering me in a good way, but I put it down on paper Mm -hmm. and then figured out, well, what would come next? The little girls would find a woman in the forest and she's an indigenous woman and maybe she's also Pachamama. And what do they do when you come across mother earth in the woods? I don't know. You might take her home to have breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. What do you, is it is it too much of a spoiler of the play to ask what you would feed Mother Earth if you brought her home for breakfast? Listen, the girls try to feed her normal food and she's not into it. <laughs> yeah. Who wants to eat brex- breakfast cookies if you're Mother Earth? You know, that's a fair point. I feel like <laughs> you'd have to do if you brought Mother Earth home for, for breakfast, you'd have to really do something special. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Now, how does this or does it at all uh, refuel itself into your acting work? You know, I th- it's funny because originally the idea to start writing things was so that I could write projects that I wanted to personally act in. Make your own flat platform, you know? Yeah, make um, your own work so that you can put yourself in it. I don't judge. Do yeah, it. yeah. But after writing this script and knowing that I will not be acting in it if it does get made, um, has also been deeply gratifying to creating it, knowing or hoping that other people will flourish. Does that, I feel like we gotta, we gotta push it because you also write and you have written a lot and published some of your writing. I'm not the one being interviewed on this episode. You have to tune in next week for that. He's here all the time. This is about you. (laughs) (laughs) I thought this was supposed to be a conversation. This is a conversation, but you're just infinitely more interesting than either one of us. So I'm just going (laughs) to ploy you with questions as you continue to get inebriated and then you know we'll stumble onto cool. some deeply profound truths and fix the universe which is the point of the whole show and oh, i'm here to make good. really stupid inappropriate dad jokes at inopportune moments so just keep going yes. and I'll, I'll be there i'll be there don't worry i do though i find it i find it interesting the way that your process changed where you said you initially wanted to start writing so that you could write for yourself so there's Again, we're coming back to that sense of self-starting and not wanting to rely on anybody else. But with this particular project, which seems like it's been your focus as a writer for a while now, you've had to consciously figure out what it would mean to write something that you would not be in. Do you find that that changes the way that you think when you sit down to write? I think it's certainly freeing because I don't have to imagine myself in the piece, which means that I can write, um, whatever I want. Hell yeah. So with the writing and then in grad school now, do you find that you still have opportunities to do as much acting as you would like? You know, I've been really, I've been really fortunate to be involved in brood grooms while I've 
uh, been working on my master's because that means I've frequently had either acting work or behind the scenes work to, to be able to find your artistic family, um, and to be able to continually create art with him is, is, uh, such a gift. And now I just, I, now I get to create a lot of art with my buddies who I love. Out of curiosity then. So, I mean, you've, you've worked with the same artists multiple times before. So what is the difference between an artist who you work with on an on again, off again, and an artistic family? Like, how does that manifest to you? Again, I think it comes back to the, the, um, being a part of the planning process and the creative team. You know, I, I also came across a, a family of artists that were out of SUNY purchase and I, I was lucky enough to sort of be bounced around their community um, when they were creating their senior project films. So that was sort of similar, except that I didn't play a, an artistic role in the sense of getting those projects off the ground. I was just lucky enough to get to work with that crew over and over. Um, but having an artistic family, I think, involves being involved in the in the planning process. Was that something that you found initially intimidating or was it something you were able to really sink your teeth into right from the beginning? I found it intimidating in the sense that because I was being asked or forced to, not forced, but um, forced by necessity uh, to don all of these roles, you know, I certainly didn't think I was the most qualified person to be taking on all of these roles, but I happened to be the person that was there at the time. And that was going to do it. That was going to be enough. This is a thing that I've been experiencing a lot in terms of conversations is the self, the sense of imposter syndrome. There's so many people who get into a role or a position and just like, I'm not qualified to do this. Or there's somebody who's more talented than me. There's someone who's more capable than me, but I love that you just took it as well. I'm the one who's here and this needs to be done. So I'm just going to do it. There, there are certainly times where Monty has come to me and said, are you doing costumes for the show? And I go, Monty, once you hire somebody else, you're going to figure out that like other people are better at this than I am. <laughs> um, so the, the, um, the, not the fear that I am underqualified, but the, maybe the knowledge that I am underqualified, um, is still with me, but has, hasn't gotten in my way of doing the job. It's, it is fascinating that even despite having kind of become such a pro, not just at the costume design in general, but at costume design for this very specific environment that has really difficult demands in terms of how much space there is to fit the stuff into a car matched with how many actors and role changes there are that it seems to us like you're so overqualified and to you you still feel underqualified would you say um you are somebody who prefers or even thrives under pressure or ideally would you prefer a more relaxed environment i think it depends on the role when it comes to acting um, I certainly love to take my time and 
take that script apart piece by piece. And what the hell are you doing in this company? Good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's also really important to confront your desperate fears of not having (laughs) enough time (laughs) to do the job right. And you just got to do it right anyway. Well, I ask because, you know, there are, there are some people, you know, when I talk about or when we talk about how this process works and the short amount of time that we put things together, you can see the panic in their faces where they're just like, oh, yeah. I, could, I could never. A full 90-minute play that's all actor-led and managed within 10 days of rehearsal? No, there's there's no way. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like over the course of this conversation, what's come out is you just sort of like, nope. It's got to be done. So we have to do it. No other alternative. And we're just going to figure it out. And you seem to have these unraveling layers of skills and talents that come out under pressure. So I'm just wondering if like, is there a part of you um, that you're aware of that sort of derives a little bit of joy from like, we only have a couple of days to get this together. Can I do X, Y, and Z thing? Challenge accepted. Yes, Daniel, I want to answer this question, but I also want to turn on the light because all of my lights have gone out. Oh, no. Because the sun goes down. So. Wait, does uh, it? I don't, I don't know. Time is an illusion. <laughs> Time is a little hard to track these days. That's true. <laughs> Look. Every day is Corona Day. That's all I know about time. <laughs> Every day is today. Yes. And well, no, that's not true. That is patently not true. There have been days that are not today, and there will be days that aren't today. But those days when they happen are today for that day. I, I'm not that- sure about that anymore. We're getting sidetracked. I'm not sure about that anymore. <laughs> My mind is Chime bending. in in the comments. Chime in the comments. <laughs> yes, chime is in Is today in always comments. today? I don't think it is anymore. Is today today? Let us know. Meanwhile, Laura's going to talk about whether or not she enjoys a high pressure environment. And if she actually does thrive under, uh, under pressure, go. Okay. So I would say that I, I don't really enjoy a high (laughs) stress environment. I'll take a low stress environment any day, but what this has caused me to work on is my perfectionism and not only being okay with getting things done now because they need to get done, but they might not be exactly what I want them to be. Mm. But at least they're done and it's out in the public and it's happening. And I mean that for my costume design. I mean that for when I act or managed, but, and I also mean that for my acting as well. You only have so much time to put this story up and what the audience is going to get from me. in that amount of time is, is, all that I can give. And if it's not exactly where I want it to be, well, cool. That's what they're going to get anyway. So (laughs) that's been liberating for me because I think part of the reason why I didn't trust my voice as a writer, I didn't trust my voice as an artist or however you want to put it was the the fear of perfectionism. Mm. (laughs) How long did it take you to sort of let that go? I think it's still a work in progress mm. over the past couple of years. It's certainly improved and it has certainly improved with the rude grooms process because I wear so many hats. 
Like there's only so much time for me to work on my script. And then you have to go on stage and it has Mm -hmm. to be what it's going to be. There's a big difference in people who are about process and people who are about product. Um, Explain. uh, People who are about the continued growth and exploration of a piece of text or this line gets a laugh best when delivered this way, exactly this way every night. The people who are like, there is a perfect version of this play and our job is to get there, set it and never alter anything. Or the people who are like, these are people living truthfully under imagined circumstances. And it's my job to mine that as truthfully as I can every night in ways that surprise me uh, and that are unexpected. And to me that, I think we should have different names for them because I think they're so far apart from one another. Why I love and am so passionate about what we do with Rude Grooms is it forces people into the process mindset. Um, I think we are often trained towards the product mindset because we are trying to get jobs to a large extent. Like like in certain elements of this business, you really are kind of like a piece of merchandise that has various value in terms of your marketability and your ability to draw audiences or other people. And and we are so commodified even as human beings and artists. Uh, And for me, the couple of times I had earlier on that had environments like this, that kind of didn't give you the opportunity to strive for products because that was just never going to be on the table because there wasn't time or it wasn't the type of thing had a foundational freeing and confidence building and uh, joy filling effect on me. So I think that's a very long ass roundabout um, response to that idea. I think you are. I think you were right though there. I have noticed a difference even after doing rude groom shows when I've gone on to do other work, that is more product oriented than it is about the process. One of the things that I found is that this sort of process makes the rehearsal period for those other kind of shows more freeing because with rehearsals and other shows, it can sort of be like you can feel the energy when people are searching for a product. Like when everybody's just trying to get it right and we're trying to like build this picture that someone designed, like someone envisioned in their head and we're trying to work around it. Whereas now I go into those sort of rooms and I feel like I found that sense of play again. It's like, oh, this is my time to explore and pick and poke and prod and like see what's over here and then figure this thing out over there and then not worry about having to get it right. Do you feel the same thing in different rooms that you've been in, Laura, since working on rude grooms type stuff? You mean in the sense of the, uh, where has the play gone and just sort of product versus process? Yeah. And just sort of trusting, trusting that real focus and dedication on the process will get you to the quote unquote product. Yeah. Yes. Uh, in the sense that if you're focused on process, you're discovering something real in the moment. And when you're focused, focused on product, it's not happening in the moment. It's happening because it worked last night. And when I've done film, I love doing film because it, it has to be moment to moment. 
or uh, it, <laughs> the, the audience will be able to see it because they are right up in your face. So you can you can try to make a product with film, but it's just going to come across as false. However you're feeling in the moment is how you're feeling. Um, and, and that's just, that has to be what it's going to be, but it's also the same with theater. I mean, having gone from obviously had an appreciation for, uh, an interest in costuming, then going into being responsible for, uh, the design and the maintenance of the wardrobe. Are there things that you as an actor wish you had known when you were earlier in your career and working with costume designers, or are there things that you wish that all actors knew, but don't? It's a lot. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of somebody's time. So take care of your goddamn clothes. People, <laughs> actors, take care of your costumes. What are you doing? <laughs> You're supposed to look good. I'm trying to help you look good. <laughs> So as we get ready to as we get ready to wrap up, what is you mentioned grad school? Are you st- how yeah. close are you to being to being done? What is next on the horizon for you? So this is my last semester, and right now I'm working on my thesis, and then I'll graduate. Um, at a very strange time in the job market, so I wish I could say I knew what was next. Um, but I don't know what jobs will be available once, once we're allowed out of our houses again. And I know so many people are in the same position. Do you know if, uh, in an ideal situation, would you want to focus more on the environmental policy work that you've been working on? Or do you think you're, do you have like an itch to, to sort of re- double your efforts in the acting world or find some sort of hybrid between the two? If, if acting suddenly took off, if all of the stars aligned and that was in the cards for me, whether now or in the future, I I would drop this side gig of environmental science and I would see where that sort of acting path would lead me because that's been my childhood dream and adolescent dream and adult dream for as long as I can remember. (laughs) So, um, I certainly haven't given up on it, but it's a, it's a very tricky business. And I'm so fortunate that I have a side passion that is, incredibly strong and gives me an enormous sense of purpose when acting is being fickle um, mm. and unforgiving. It's such a yeah. beautiful way to frame it. I think like that is really important, whether, whether it's as big as having the investment that you've put into, um, into that, that line of grad study or just something that like when acting is fickle towards you, you can have, to invest your time in and remember that it's not all about that. Yeah. I think that has certainly helped take some of the stakes off of acting, which I think I was going to say is only helpful, but maybe it's not helpful because it, it 
takes your time away from acting and auditioning and um, creating on the artistic side. However, it is also uh, emboldened my artistic voice and also has made me uh, a a more well-rounded person and therefore (laughs) only better able to to be an actor and to um, express the human condition in all professions because actors are supposed to play professionals, but a lot of us haven't had professional jobs. That's real. Yeah. That's real. That's really real. Who was it? Was it Annika we were talking to on the podcast that was talking about because of her political science background? Yeah. That she was like Mm -hmm. really successful at certain types of roles in film and TV auditions. Yeah, yes. I remember listening to that. Mm-hmm. That's something yeah. that's always really like I, I double majored in architecture and urban planning because that was my that's my other big passion. But of course, that's as terrifying and unlikely to lead to success as acting is in terms of the numbers of of those who end up becoming architects who make good money and those who end up becoming assistants or house builders for those. Not not that there's anything wrong with being a house builder, like just like that's not the dream, right? Just as like maybe. Well, I'm going to stop that line of thought right there. Um, <laughs> house builders, you are necessary and House builders important. are amazing. I love houses, especially tiny Don't house builders. You're Monty. the best of all of them. No, I'm saying that I love house builders. Oh, my God. This is why I wasn't speaking earlier, Laura. See what you've done? <laughs> well, Daniel got me speaking about my, like, indigenous story, and I'm like, I have no right to tell somebody else's story. God, let's move on. So anyway, we've, we've all embarrassed ourselves Look, it's, today. it's COVID brain. I was just talking to a friend on the phone earlier, and it's like, COVID brain is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Like, everything is much scarier. Speaking is much scarier. Breathing is much scarier. <laughs> Sitting up from laying on the couch is so scary that I just generally don't do it. Um, that is COVID brain. Okay, so I'm going to save these two and uh, read out some of the some of the reactions from people uh, in chat. I don't know why these weren't updating for me in real time, but oh, I was they able weren't? to refresh the page. Hmm? Oh, I thought they'd stop too. Yeah, no, they apparently uh, it's apparently a thing. Because I'm, I refresh the page and then I'm seeing a bunch of new um, comments. So just oh, very awesome. quickly, very quickly from the lovely and talented Alexandra Lang. Hashtag <gasps> We Are the Great Wooden O. Yes, indeed, Alex. Yes, we yes. are. Also, hello. So I nice see you. This is a virtual uh, hug. Shout, shout out to uh, Rude Groom Sharer Deb Radloff, who says a very enthusiastic hi with all kinds of exclamations. Um, let's see. Oh, and then, of course, from Amber Elby, who says, I seriously never come on Facebook, but I made an exception for y'all. Bless you. Oh, uh, we love you, Amber. Thanks, Amber. Also, um, I don't know if I want to read this last one out, but uh, I guess I have to now. No, you have to. Corey Lawson, whoever that is, says, uh, Mr. Sutton, <laughs> he says... Mr. Sutton has my vote. Today is today until tomorrow, which is then today, and then today is yesterday. Also, you're killing my isolated brain cells. I would say that I'm sorry for your brain cells, but you agreed with Monty, and that makes you wrong by default. So, I think no that means the day. world voted to call you Danny. I think we nope. put out there there was going to be nope. a vote tonight. <laughs> we didn't ask for a vote on this on this subject, I, and yet a vote I, came I, in in my favor, which means that you're forever christened Danny. 
I will leave this chat early, so <laughs> help me. This week, I am going to recommend Shakespeare Happy Hours. Is it a what? shameless plug? Yes, it is. That's what How I was going to recommend. Okay, great. So this week, Monty and I are both recommending Shakespeare Happy Hours. <sighs> is it a shameless plug for a partnership that we're doing with our friends over at Seven Stages Shakespeare Company in New is. Hampshire? Yes, it is. Do I care? No, no because don't. this is the age of coronavirus and we can do literally whatever we want because time is illusion. Money's not real and nothing matters. Every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, we have assembled an incredibly talented group of actors from all across the country and in the UK to bring you 90 minute virtual performances of Shakespeare's entire canon. This is three days a week at 5 p.m. Eastern. We're going to keep this going until we either a get through the entire canon or B are allowed to go outside again, whichever one comes first. Um, if you have not seen it thus far, we have so far done the Tempest, Cymbeline, the Winner's Tale, the Scottish play, Pericles. We also have, uh, there's a Patreon account that is associated with Shakespeare Happy Hours. If you decide to catch a viewing, of course they are completely free, but that Patreon account is linked to the Shakespeare Happy Hours and we do use the funds from that Patreon account to pay the actors in the production, many of whom had contracts canceled or were financially impacted by the physical distancing that we are doing now. So as you enjoy those performances and come to watch and hang out, please consider uh, contributing to that Patreon account so that we can pay the wonderfully talented group of actors who have volunteered their time um, and, you know, help each other as a community make it through to the other side of this moment that we are in right now. That's a beautiful plug. I agree. Uh, if you uh, if you want to check out, you can go to ShakespeareHappyHours.tv. That's the website. It's also on YouTube. Channel's named Shakespeare Happy Hours and on the, the Facebook. Um, and since he stole my recommendation, uh, I'm going to recommend something that I realized just before we started broadcasting. Today, Final Fantasy VII, the remake came out. I think I think it came out today or recently came out. And I was seeing online like all the amazing like footage and replay and how much joy it was bringing into people's lives. And I was like, oh man, I really wish I could just spend the money to download that on PS4. Like I've got the time. Like that's what I should do. But like we're in Corona times and like there's no income. It's like, well, I can't. I can't. Maybe I'll just put that on my wish list for once income starts again. And then I opened my mailbox. And lo and behold, what was in the mailbox? Final Fantasy VII, the remake. And I remembered that two years ago, or whatever, when it was first announced and put on Amazon for pre-order, I had bought it, and I sent my future self a little gift that I didn't know future Monty was going to need. And let me tell you, past Monty was very kind to me today. So, my recommendation is send something to future you. You don't know when they're going to need it, but they probably do. So send away. Laura, thank you so much for joining us for this first digital wooden O. Please tell people where on the interwebs they can find you because we all have so much time to discover new and interesting people these days. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys, for having me on this Facebook cast. I don't know. What do you call <laughs> such a thing? <laughs> what does one call such a thing? <laughs> we'll find out. Ha, 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 ha.
but is there a general place where people can uh, keep up with you and find the work that you're doing? <laughs> well, totally, totally <laughs> missed that, Daniel. Um, uh, I mean, you can find me on um, my website, which is www.lauracpiccoli.com. We are going to get out of here for uh, for this uh, public live stream. However, we are going to continue hanging out on our Patreon page for about another half hour or so. Oh, wow. So, that sounds fun. Yeah, it's going to be super dope. I'm going to refill this scotch, which has gotten pathetically low, and that's oh, wow. a problem. This is the, my me. last sip of beer. Maybe I'll do the same thing. In the meantime, my name is Daniel. I'm Monty. You can find I'm me. Laura. And Laura's here. <laughs> Excuse me, Daniel. The vodka has I'm here. <laughs> Y'all, if you're not getting on Patreon right now, then you are going to miss an event. I don't know what's coming, but I can tell you it's going to be a storm. You can find me and all of the tales in which Laura yells at me on Twitter and Instagram at the Daniel Kemper. And I am on Twitter at Montgomery Sutto and on Instagram at Montgomery Sutton. You thought we were taking a break because of coronavirus. We were taking a break so I could actually learn my social media handles. There it is. Are that you proud of me, Daniel? I am so proud. Could not be prouder. I've been literally doing it three times a day, just waiting for this moment. Because I was like, <laughs> I cannot mess up my own social media handles yet again. After There's making a big deal of them. really does believe that. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of This Wooden O, hosted and produced by Daniel Kemper and Montgomery Sutton. Original music is by Kara Arena. This Wooden O is brought to you by Rude Grooms, a Queens, New York-based theater company creating epically intimate theatrical experiences in public spaces, non-traditional venues, and new media. Learn more at rudegrooms.com or follow us on social media at Rude Grooms and at This Wooden O.